Welcome to a special edition of Santa Barbara Talks. I'm here with Jordy Armstrong. And uh, Jordy, we kind of got here in a really sort of cool way. Um, we talked about wanting to do more podcasts occasionally together, maybe once a month on issues that we care about and we have mutual sort of uh, you know experience with. And I'm really looking forward to it. And so I'm really glad that that we're able to, to start today with this idea that really we kind of came up together, which was the idea of talking about music and songs and what they mean to us. Uh, we're around the same age, meaning we kind of grew up with a lot of similar songs in this similar you know, period of times in our lives. And so uh, we're gonna talk about some music that has impacted us. How are you doing today, first of all, Jordy? Uh, good. And, um, and thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to do, you know, to meet up with you once a month or so and talk about uh, things in Santa Barbara, things at City College. Um, and then today our, our one off music podcast will be cool. Yeah, and I, I and I don't know how old you are. I think I'm older than you. But we're both uh, I, I essentially like junior high, high school and college was all in the 90s for me so it was all like like uh so that so the 90s was a big transformative period the 80s too but um but you know 90s is when I was coming of age and so the music in that period and what was happening in that period was impactful yeah and I'm a late bloomer so it was probably equally as impactful um to me in the 90s but um and I love all sorts of music I think I've told you before it's like my therapy I just go and listen when I need a pick-me-up and listen to all kinds of different songs. And I, it's kind of cool how we got together because on this topic because, um, you know, you teach at Santa Barbara City College and I teach at Santa Barbara City College and we are both sort of, I guess, aware that someone with that name teaches at the school, but not realizing that, oh, well, we probably have some overlap in students, right? And the way this sort of idea of doing this podcast on, on songs came up was you, you went to see Alanis Morissette with your daughter. Mm-hmm. I know you're going to talk about that. And uh, you went to LA and I guess somehow this came up in a conversation or a class or something. You could talk about it. And one of your students, Jacob Frank said, Oh, I know Josh Molina and he loves Alanis Morissette or something like that. But why don't you take that story, Jordy, of how, cool. how we sort of found out that we had that thing in common? Yeah. So I saw Alanis in, um, in LA at the Hollywood bowl in October with my daughter. It was, uh, it was a Wednesday, you know, and I had to teach at 8am the next day, which maybe I shouldn't admit on here that I do stuff like that. But, uh, but um, Jacob is a geography a student now and a very promising student, a wonderful student, but he was very into journalism for a while. And he asked actually, if I went with you, cause he, cause I, I had missed a club meeting for one of the clubs that I sponsor as a faculty member. And um, I posted a picture on Instagram of like me and my daughter at the, at the concert, which was packed. It, it was packed. I'll, I'll actually talk about who it was packed with in just a minute. But Jacob said, oh, hey, did you go with Josh? <laughs> like I hang out with Josh Molina. <laughs> which, which well, I, is- I can get in trouble if people find that out. 
Yeah, which uh, is funny because, um, well, like, yeah, I would like to, you know, one day maybe we will go to an Alanis Morissette concert together. But uh, at the time, I only knew you from like by proxy sitting in Senate meetings, academic Senate meetings at City College. When I was on Senate, you would be reporting sometimes. And uh, so I only knew you a little bit. Um, but I just thought it was so funny that he just imagined. And I think a lot of uh, students probably imagine that their professors are all hanging out together and they're all friends and all talking about them or something like that when we're actually pretty isolated from each other. Um, but uh, but yeah, so he had asked if I went with you and I said, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I didn't go to Hollywood in the middle of the night with Josh Molina. <laughs> but um, but something interesting about that concert. OK, so first of all, the concert was amazing, as you would imagine it would be. Uh, it was packed and she's like 47, 48, you know, um, she just had, I think her third baby and the concert was packed with women my age, which makes sense, right? Because we would have been teenagers when she was, especially Jagged Little Pill came out, which was this huge blockbuster album. And then there was people, my daughter's age, teenage girls. And I get that too, you know, like speaking to this next generation of, of young women, but there were a lot of Latino uh, men, right? Like who were between 35 and 45 there as well. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that I was not expecting. Like, I get the, like, <laughs> I get the women my age, I get the teenage girls, but like, why are there about a third of the people are like men who are like you, you know? So it was especially funny when Jacob said, Hey, did you go with Josh? Cause I was like, no, but there were so many people who were kind of similar to Josh and demographic and age and stuff like that. So maybe um, this is something that, you know, she speaks to women for sure, but she seems to really speak to people who maybe have more in common with your demographic and your age as well, yeah. which talked about her as an artist and how art is this art, you know, it, it may make sense that some people sort of different types of art will speak to different types of people. But um, that's the thing about art is that any kind of message, whether it's in music, whether it's in books or, or, you know, painting or whatever, uh, it speaks to so many of us on so many different levels. It doesn't matter if the de demographic matches, the age matches, you know, the gender, the sexuality, like none of those things have to be exactly the same for us to listen to or hear this person's art and really vibe with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad that there were people there who look a lot like me because I remember back in 95 or whatever, when she got real big, when Alanis got real big and sort of not being normal for liking her that at that time it was supposed to be angry women who liked her or angry young girls and men were supposed to hate her and in fact a lot of my male friends are like why do you listen to that she's just screaming and angry and that sort of thing and I remember sort of like for a while kind of keeping it quiet and then eventually just I don't really care. You know, I like, I like this music. I wanted to go to that concert too. I've seen Alanis Morissette seven times in concert. I can't get over the seven hump. Um, but I've seen her in the nineties, seven times. And then just what, for whatever reason, just with 
kids and as you get older just less opportunity to, to go and money and there's other priorities and stuff but I wanted to go to that concert she was in Santa Barbara too I wanted to go to that I had a friend who recorded it on the iPhone and sent me you know the, the sound clips to make it feel like I was there but I remember being real bummed that it was on a Wednesday. I'm like, I can't go on a Wednesday. Like, that's going to be so difficult. And I, I probably, if I would have gone, you would have seen me by myself. And you'd be like, is that that Josh Molina guy? What's he doing here? You know, because I definitely would have gone by myself. Um, just, you know, to do it real quick and come back sort of thing. But let's talk about her for a second. Because I still, whatever, thir- almost 30 years later, listen to her. And uh, she's had a lot more albums, a lot more music. And a lot of people stopped a long time ago. Um, She's still popular, but she sings about like stuff like parenting now (laughs) and just like marriage and therapy and self-help and just all these really, you know, really cool things. But talk, Jordy, what do you think of Alanis? Like, how did you get into her? What was it about her that appealed to you? Well, you know, it's funny that... um you mentioned the people thought she was angry, uh, especially with the song You Ought to Know, which is probably her most famous song. And it was, I think, her first really big breakthrough uh, where she's talking and confronting a person, maybe Dave Coulier from Full House. We still don't know. (laughs) Uh, But she's confronting a person who had just kind of dropped her. And she's very emotionally raw. And it's interesting that she gets tagged with this angry female and that other women who confront an issue, um, who confront like uh, something that's, who essentially is laying a boundary for themselves by confronting an issue, that that gets put into this anti-feminine role or, or, you know, place where, where breaking out of any sort of any sort of uh, monolith of how femininity is supposed to play out. And that's, it's okay to suffer as a woman. It's okay to um, be victimized, you know, but you have to deal with it in a, in a sad kind of, whereas if you confront it, if you question it at all, if you question the status quo, then you're put into this position where you're angry and you're reacting too much. And, you know, at the time, Jagged Little Pill, I think comes out in 1995, um, Rage Against the Machine was a big band then as well. And nobody was asking why those dudes were angry. They were literally naming themselves Rage. And nobody was like, uh, well, <laughs> you know, why are you so angry? It was just acceptable that men could be angry with the system. And I, I was thinking as well about, okay, so I'm thinking about other contemporaries along with Alanis. Um, Nirvana is a little bit earlier. Kurt Cobain would have passed by then, but Nirvana was challenging the same idea of masculinity on the flip side. So she's challenging this idea of femininity and being able to kind of question like, why is this happening? You know, why do you feel like you can can treat me in this way where we had something and then you just walk away from me and it's like nothing ever happened and I'm bothered by it, I'm hurt by it. And people are like, oh, you're so angry. Um, meanwhile, Nirvana, a couple of years before that, they had, you know, and they started like they were a whole different genre, obviously. And but they were ending this this 1980s synthetic, just, you know, poppy 
period, uh, decade and coming in with the grunge and with the, the green cardigan. Oh man, it'd be so perfect if I had a green, a ratty green cardigan on right now. Um, and they were angry, but they were challenged with their masculinity because if you look at Axl Rose and Guns N' Roses, they were, you know, he's out there like screeching and screaming and, but he's talking about male anger in the proper way, which is to rage against it, which is to be like, it's okay for men to kind of have this, this, uh, reaction that, that is violent and, and, uh, yelling and everything. And like, okay, we don't want you to be upset, but that's an, that's a proper masculine response. Whereas Nirvana was this, they were responding in sort of an angry way to, I don't know, being in the fog and the rain all the time or, or many other things. Sorry. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to be dismissive of Kurt Cobain's issues, but um, they were responding in a way that was somehow not the right masculine way because they were sort of people called them whiny or called them like, you know um, so it, so what I'm trying to say is, in both Alanis and Nirvana, who are two pretty different types of musicians, they were both challenged in the way that they presented their femininity or their masculinity because they were breaking from the feminine norm of being victimized and being sort of like, you know, Patsy Cline and just sad about it, um, or being upset like a man is allowed to be, but speaking more to emotion because Nirvana really spoke more to emotion and you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to yell and be yeah. like, uh, -na 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 -na. <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs> yeah. Uh, you should be a college professor the way you explain <laughs> these issues. <laughs> um, it's so thoughtful, but yeah, you're exactly right in that Alanis was not wearing, showing a lot of, uh, skin, she was not trying to conform to uh, an ideal that the mass media might have been projecting at the time. She wasn't trying to be Madonna or anything like that. And I think for, for me, and one of these things that we're, we're way more aware of now in 2022, but back then was like, I, I, when I was just, you know, a young man at that time, I was not necessarily into the, what would be like an Instagram model now. Like I wasn't into the, oh, the ideal of what women had to look like. Like I like like fiery and independent and people who break the rules. And she was doing that. And that sort of transcends looks because anybody can look fantastic if they put their time to it. But not everybody can be super edgy and smart and, uh, go against the grain and be authentic. And that was sort of the thing. And so I remember just thinking like, who is this person? Like, you know, where is this person in real life? You know, like she's so crazy, but good. And honestly, I don't know if you remember the first time you heard you ought to know like what you were doing, but I had heard it a couple of times on the radio and that chorus right and just hearing her voice and and just like what is that and kind of ignore what is that and then like by the third or fourth time being like okay I gotta listen to this song and it was just so impactful because it was so blunt mm -hmm. real and we know that people and women and men have those emotions 
And then it had the F word, right? So that was like, wow, like she's cussing, she's cursing. And so it just really showed somebody who was not willing to conform to the rules. Right. And that's so important, especially for, and you talk about this more, but, you know, if you tell someone and women to conform, that's a way of maintaining your power because you're saying you stay there we're going to be over here and you need to not rock the boat. Just know that you're great and fantastic as long as you just stay here, you know? So I really like that she was breaking that sort of traditional mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And using the F word in the way that the F word is meant to be used, if that makes sense, like uh, since it's a euphemism for sex and she was using it in that in that way, which really challenges again, this idea of femininity, because again, women are supposed to talk about sex when it's being done to them or as a, as sort of a passive, um, a passive, uh, I don't know, a passive role or whatever I'm trying to say, you're supposed to be passive. It's you're supposed to be a there for consumption Mm -hmm. and in her sort of using that word in talking about sex and talking about this person that had wronged her or dumped her or whatever. Um, and his, like, she's using it in a very active way. And again, that challenges that norm of how women are supposed to go about sex. And, and like you said, she didn't conform to a overly sexualized. She wasn't trying to be overly sexualized. She wasn't trying to be very sexy. She yodeled, you know, I mean, <laughs> she, wa- she wails at the end of her songs. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she, she makes sounds that are very unfeminine and, uh, and are, you know, can be perceived as not very attractive. Mm-hmm. And again, budding the norm that like, maybe my only role isn't to be attractive and be here for your consumption. Maybe as an artist, I'm trying to actively take, take, part in in uh, making art and not just passively creating art for you to consume but I'm trying to challenge and and make a statement and she was making a statement and not threaten people and people's go-to at least with women is to say like oh she's too angry I can't hear her you know she's um and to try to dismiss some someone as like oh we, we would listen to you if you said it in the right way but you're saying it in the wrong way in this yodely falsetto we can't we can't can't hear that. Um, my favorite song by her though is uh, uh, "Hand in My Pocket," and um, I really love the way it starts. It has like this very it sort of eases in, yeah. and in it she's talking about how a person can be two things at the same time. You know, she's talking about a lot of things in it, but she's she's essentially saying, you know, I'm sick, but I'm pretty. I'm poor, but I'm kind. I'm, you know, she's, she's saying like, I'm all these things that I detest about myself and that are negative, but I'm also these things that uh, I enjoy and I like, and um, maybe you're these things at the same time and how like we can exist in a space where we both really appreciate ourselves, but also like can't stand ourselves at certain times. Um, And how a person is more than just one monolithic identity, but a person is complicated. So yeah, I think I, I like that song so much because she allows herself to be a kind of a complicated mess. And in that she's, she speaks directly to, I think a lot of people with how we're all kind of these complicated uh, 
Eminem says, I'm a Rubik's, a beautiful mess in his song, Walk on Water. It's the same sort of messy idea that many of us, many of us identify with. Yeah. And so much about her music too, if you listen to her body of work is about opposites and lists and contrasts. It's mm-hmm. a theme in her songwriting of being this, but also this. Um, that song is just full of sort of populist notions, hand in my pocket, uh, because it what it did was validate. Like, it's okay. It's okay if you're short. It's okay if you're lost, if you're broke, if you're young. I love that line, I'm young and I'm underpaid. You know, I'm young, but mm-hmm. I'm underpaid, right? Is that young and I'm underpaid, right? So it validated all these things that people were feeling at that time, but still said there's hope, right? I'm lost, but I'm hopeful. And that's just so, such a message that we need to be giving to everybody. Like you're never going to arrive. Like you're never going to be perfect. You're never going to finish. Like you're never done. And if you think one day I'm going to wake up and today I'm good for the rest of my life, like that's nonsense. You know, you're going to wake up every day, hopeful, hopefully there's going to be a lot of bad stuff that happens hopefully more good stuff. And you just try to keep getting a little bit better, have a little bit more, more learning. And that was such a good song. And it's very singable. I don't know if you sing it with Ruby in the car, but I sing this with my daughter. Like it's, she knows all the words. Um, When she was younger, I would turn it down when she would say I'm brave, but I'm chicken S word, you know, like you would turn it down. Now Mm -hmm. I just let it play because it's (laughs) like, who cares kind of thing. And So why are there so many men at her shows? Why are there so, I don't know why there's Latino men, but why are there men? Um, So much of her music since then is about empowerment and empowerment applies to everybody. It just does not apply to to women. It it applies to anyone who's listening, any age, whatever your background. I mean, she has a song called A Man where she talks, she literally talks about, it's on um, under rug swept album where she talks about how hard it is for men to exist knowing that they are judged as these horrible people in so many ways as consumers as bad as takers as predators as men who are the problem for everything that a lot of women think is wrong with the world and here she's this woman speaking on behalf of men and sort of she does great as she takes that voice. She has dialogue in her songs, right? So she's not just singing at you. She's playing roles and characters. And she has another song called In Praise of a Vulnerable Man, where she talks about how much she loves the vulnerability of men. And some would say femininity, you know, non-traditional masculine traits. Mm-hmm. And a lot of her stuff's just super empowering. It just, it, it just like, wow, I, I can't get that by listening to... Um, Miley Cyrus maybe I should listen to more Miley Cyrus but I can't get that from listening to some you know Taylor Swift or other people and she doesn't sing a lot of love songs she sings uh songs about her experiences and her life in fact like a total traditional love song between her and somebody else is pretty rare you know for Mm -hmm. her her body of work um 
what what sort of other things were you into at that time? Like what kind of music were you experiencing that was impactful to you? Well, so I was going to say about, um, about what you were just saying with how maybe she speaks to more than just like women who were, you know, teenagers at the time she was singing and women who are nostalgic now. Um, she, like, like I said before, and like you said, she doesn't conform to this standard of like, what is sexy? She's not trying to be sexy. And she was very skinny, right? She was flat chested. Like she had this long hair, um, which long hair can be feminine, but she had this very like long straight hair. And I think that she was questioning the idea of what it means to be feminine, what it means to be masculine. She was questioning the idea of like the very, very specific boxes that were put into as male or female and what it means to be a, a, a gender or identified with a gender. And I would, I would assume that that speaks to men as well as it speaks to women, that it doesn't have to be, you know, she's, she's kind of going outside of the boundaries of what she's supposed to be as feminine, but I'm sure that that becomes a message and sort of a voice to other people who aren't necessarily female questioning like, yeah, well, what does it mean to be whatever gender has been assigned to me at birth? You know, what, what does it mean for me to be masculine or what does it mean for me to be feminine? And so I can see how for young men, especially young men are often boxed into a type of toxic masculinity, not, you know, there's nothing wrong with masculinity, but it's the toxic masculinity. It's the type of masculinity that essentially says to be masculine, you have to be violent, oppressive, you know, um, you have to uh, have sex in a certain way that's not necessarily gratifying for both people. Um, so she, in her, in her nonconformity to femininity, I think she was opening the door for a lot of people to sort of question like, well, what does it mean to be part of the gender that I'm part of? And and she, her some of her predecessors who played around with that, who really spoke to me in the 80s, so like when I'm growing up in the 80s, uh, Prince and George Michael were these huge, like I, I, they were huge and iconic, and, yeah. but I just loved both of those singers so much. And when both of them died, as both of them died in the last couple of years, I really thought about like, why did they speak to me so much? I mean, they're great musicians. Prince is a, was a freaking genius. You know, he's, he played like 19 different instruments and he was, uh, he started playing when he was super, super young and everything and his whole movie, uh, Purple Rain. But he was playing around with gender as well. You know, he was super masculine, but he was super, super feminine too, in the way that he would wear these high heeled boots. He was in like full velvet regalia, you know, he was singing in these high falsettos, but he didn't shy away from being very into women, very into sex, the things that you're supposed to be into as like, that are supposed to be masculine traits. He didn't shy away from those. So what he was essentially saying was like, yeah, you can play around. This is something you can play around with. Like this doesn't have to be a, just because you're born female, you're born male, um, you're assigned female at birth, you're assigned male at birth, it doesn't have to define you in these very specific ways. You can be masculine and you can sing in a falsetto and you can wear whatever the hell you want to wear. Um, and you can be feminine and you don't necessarily have to conform to ideas of femininity. And the same way George Michael, he didn't, he played around with 
ideas of gender, but more so with sexuality, I think because he was struggling so much of his life, you know, he came out as gay later in his life after he was caught, you know, soliciting someone for sex in a bathroom and it became this whole thing where he was arrested. And then he wrote that song outside about coming out and he has like tapes of him getting arrested (laughs) in the background. But I think for him, he struggled so much with trying to be heterosexual and he wasn't heterosexual. Um, but thinking like, no, no, I have to conform to this standard. You know, this is what my parents want. This is what society wants from me. And you can hear that struggle in his voice and, you know, in his lyrics and everything and how he was struggling so much with identity. And for me, growing up in the 80s, when I was, didn't conform to, to perfect ideas of femininity, perfect ideas of, um, of sexuality or like what I was supposed to be, when it came to like being female, being, you know, all, all the stuff that comes along with figuring out who you are, uh, that struggle of what does it mean to be a person who wants emotion and like emotional reciprocity, wants to be uh, validated and cared for and wants to be in a romantic relationship, but doesn't necessarily feel the way that society is telling me to feel so with both of them and their questioning prince's questioning of sort of like what does it mean to be masculine i can i can be masculine i can be all kinds of things and still i'm i'm still just prince right and with george michael as well really like dealing with the emotional side of kind of figuring out and coming to terms with who he was in a world that was saying that that was so wrong uh it spoke a lot to me then and then you have these like women who come along in the 90s who are questioning the same thing. They're not following in, falling into that perfect standard of what it meant to be feminine. Like before Alanis, there was Bjork and Bjork comes out with human behavior with her debut album. And I think 92, 93. Um, and I remember seeing her and it, like, she's Icelandic, right? So it's like, is she weird or is she Icelandic? Like, is that, <laughs> is that, <laughs> is that just what it is to be Icelandic or, you know, are you kind of weird? And, you know, she's both like, (laughs) she's both Icelandic and also kind of weird, but like in human behavior, that song, she's running around in the video. There used to be videos where like a whole thing, every artist did for every song. I love that era. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I miss it. Like it's, it's, it's the visual storytelling of their, of their songs. Right. But she's like running around being chased by and chasing a bear in that video and uh (laughs) but it's a person dressed as a bear and it's very obviously a person in like a bear suit but in human behavior um she talks about uh you know if you ever get close to a human and human behavior let me remember the lyrics you oh you better you better be ready to get confused yeah is there like illogical or something there's no logic to humans or something yeah yeah. So in that song, she is essentially saying like, uh, if you want to be close to humans, they're complicated. It's not going to make sense, but it's so wonderful. And it's so satisfying. You know, she has that line. It's ever so satisfying to be trapped in human emotion or to be caught up in human emotion or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so her, her, like, I don't know, her questioning of, of what it means to both be sort of repelled by humans and by human emotion, but also like desire it and want it so much. Um, her and 
and then going into Alanis and Alanis is sort of questioning of, or, or again, like working outside the bounds of femininity. And then later, um, Erica Badu, I loved Erica Badu more like in my later high school, college years, you know, she was this artist who, again, was constantly laying boundaries. You know, she was in her song, certainly she talks about, um, how she wasn't looking for a love affair and uh now you're trying to control me now you're trying to own me and my favorite line like one of my favorite lines ever written <clears throat> in a song she says in that song uh the world is mine when i wake up i don't need no one telling me the time and i i think about that line often because again we're often told that to be validated, to be a, a whole person, you have to somehow be attached to a group of people, whether it's, you know, when you're younger, you have to have a group of friends and you're in junior high, you're in high school, you have to be attached to like a clique of people. Um, later, you have to be attached to a romantic relationship. You have to be attached to a family. And for me, those things, you know, never worked out that way. Like I was never part of a clique. I was never part of a group of friends that I could rely on. Uh, I never had a family that I could rely on that, that I was, you know, was a part of and happy to be a part of and, uh, was somebody that I could, you know, people that I could rely on. <clears throat> so having these artists sort of question the idea of what does it mean to not fit into a cliched idea of, having to be part of a group, having to be part of a relationship, having to be part of a family unit that's defined in very, very specific ways. And once you start to question that, you can sort of look outside it and figure out, you know, maybe, maybe my family unit doesn't look exactly the way that people say that it's supposed to look like. Maybe my relationships don't look exactly the way that uh, people say they're supposed to go and follow a formula. And maybe my, my friendships don't look like that either. And if other people are doing it that way, maybe it's okay. So yeah, so I've been talking for a while. <laughs> Keep talking. Um, <laughs> no, you're right, because we're always trained, like, who are you going to the dance with in high school, right? Mm -hmm. Like, are you going to homecoming? Are you going to prom? Are you going to these things? Uh, who's who your social circles? Who do you hang out with? And then as you get older, it's like, everyone's you know dating or you have a, an entourage or a group and for those of us who were like I'm really actually quite cool by myself <laughs> it can feel very isolating you know and, mm -hmm. and to hear these artists be able to validate that you know and with Erica Badu just sort of talking about waking up alone essentially and being okay with it that that's fine doesn't mean there's something doesn't mean you're a loser doesn't mean there's some deficiency that you can do that sort of thing you, know, you mentioned george michael and prince um prince a lot like alanis in that like i never wanted to wear high heels that was like that's not that's just, i don't mind other men who do but like that was not me i didn't do want to do dress up like that but when he would do that i'd be like damn you are amazing because you are so bold and brave and you don't care and you're so reliant on your talent that if someone judges you too bad, you know, and, and the fact that he was able to, like Alanis, just sort of be himself was inspirational. Then his music was like incredible. 
you know, mm-hmm. like, that's what I would do is like, as a, you know, someone who likes to write and has always loved reading, good writing is just being fixated on the lyrics and like Prince's lyrics were so confusing at times and you'd have to like decipher them. Oh, what does he mean there? Like, what, what does that mean? Like trying to decipher Raspberry Beret, like mm-hmm. what the heck is that song about? Right? Like, Hmm. you know and just sort of the, the writing of it you know and, and and the storytelling that he had of it and George Michael you know he talked about how you you talked about how he was outed after the the cop set him up by the way the cop like flashed himself and made it seem like it was an opportunity and then arrested him which you shouldn't be doing that in public bathrooms but he was not like he was going in there you know assaulting you know he called it entrapment and then he met did you, you remember the video where yeah, where he get, dresses up and dances like a police officer. And he and starts making the cops start making out in the video, yeah. the male cops, you know, it was just yeah. like so funny that he would take that that spin on it. But it's so funny because George Michael's lyrics were so, forgive me for saying this, but so gay. Like you knew this man. They are gay, gay. Yeah. Like you just yeah. knew that by listening. Go ahead. I remember figuring out he was gay from a song, which I know he's. You should have been able to figure out he was gay looking at him in a wham. <laughs> it <laughs> the was, shorts. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, but in this one song, he's taught it's from it's from uh, Listen Without Prejudice, which is his second solo album. So he does his his uh Faith, which is probably one of his still most famous albums. And he's in his little he's in his little jeans, you know, doing the like the swoosh back and forth, and the camera's focused on his butt and uh and but then with listen without prejudice he blows up in the in the video for freedom he blows up like all the stuff that had been associated with that last uh his first solo album and it's essentially a way of saying like okay i was trying to be i'm i want to be a solo artist but i was conforming to the standard of what the music industry wants for me this like kind of sexy like you know um, and he gets way more serious and way more soulful. And that that album is clearly about a breakup and a rela- relationship that he had with somebody. And in this one song, he he talks about uh, he's talking about, you know, the emotions of having been with this person and breaking breaking up with this person. And he says, uh, um, you told me to act like a man, but some would say, if you knew you wouldn't be here with me. Yeah, and I remember, yeah, yeah, let's feel the pain, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and I remember hearing that like many, many times, but at one point I heard it and I was like, oh my God, he's gay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because you get about another man. <laughs> pronouns, right? You can like, oh, wow. You know? Well, yeah. And yeah. he says, like, if some would say, if you knew what it was to be a man, you wouldn't be here with me. Mm-hmm. Basically saying, like, uh, you know, you're, you're gay. <laughs> what are we talking about? Like, why are we still trying to fit and conform into standards of masculinity and what it means to be male when we're, when we're already out of that box, just by, uh, sexual, you know, um, uh, sexual, uh, what's the word? N- not preference. It's not a preference. Orientation. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, by, just by orientation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a song called A Different Corner, which is when he was with Wham. Like that is like my one of my all-time favorite because it is so emotionally raw and it's so like 
he's in love with this person, but he also wishes he would never have met this person. And that's such a crazy feeling to be in when you're hopeless, you know, and it's like, it's, it was so good. And now it's so, he's so missing this person that I wonder if it's just better that I just never even knew you sort of thing. Yeah. Right. And he talks about in that song, the, um, cause he says, uh, turned a different corner and we never would have met mm-hmm. how, you know, how these, these <clears throat> people in our life or experiences in our life, jobs that we have, whatever, you know, where we go to school, what we study in school, so much of it comes down to just like one tiny little instance. You know, I talked about this in the podcast that I did with you last month, mm-hmm. where if I hadn't had that one person talk to me that one day, who knows, like that was such a pivotal, pivotal time in my life. And like, it, I kind of took this fork in the road. Um, and there's so many things like that, where if you just hadn't met a person at that one moment, like I think about that with my daughter's dad, who I've known since I was like young, he worked at Video Schmidio and, uh, you know, I knew him then and I knew him around town. He's kind of a personality about town. <laughs> and, uh, but I ran into him when I was like 28, 29, just, I was visiting here. I lived in San Francisco. I was visiting here. And like, I just happened to run into him at the coffee cat. And I think about all the time, like if I had not run into him that day, there would be no, my daughter, (laughs) there would have been no staying here in Santa Barbara. There would have been no city college, you know, and I'm not in no way am I crediting him (laughs) for all that stuff. I'm just saying like, if I hadn't gone to coffee cat that morning, my life would be completely different. I wouldn't live here. I wouldn't have my daughter Ruby. I wouldn't, you know, work at city college because that's what, that's not what brought me here, but that's what kept me here is uh, yeah. 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 And if it weren't for Jacob Frank, we wouldn't be here now. So right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. If he, if he, if he didn't assume that we were just all hanging out together, going to concerts and. Maybe he just figured if she likes Alanis Morissette yeah. and he does, they must know each other. Cause like Jacob to, to, to students in our classes, Alanis Morissette is like totally old, you know? So all- not, not to all of them, but to some of them. Yeah. yeah, but also like, I mean, my daughter has her on vinyl, you know, oh. she has uh, like, I, I think she's speaking to this next generation as well, at least. So, you know, Jacob is in his early 20s or something. Most of yeah. our students are somewhere in their early 20s. Um, you know, my daughter's a teenager in ninth grade, but um, but I think she's having sort of like a she's definitely speaks to this generation as well. So and that's that's the test of a a real artist is, is timelessness, you know, um, and that she speaks to generation after generation. Yeah. And then like, now you look back, you're like, well, how that was so groundbreaking, you know? And and so, so yeah, that period of music, and I still listen to George Michael. I still listen to Prince. I still listen to Alanis. In fact, if we did this podcast on songs of today, I'd be able to do like one or two songs. I don't really listen to a lot of current stuff. I just don't have time. And we talked about that. Like when we were younger, you hear stuff on the radio and then you'd buy the album and then like the single would come out and be like, Oh, I love that song. I've heard it for six months and now it's finally on the radio. 
and that's so cool and then like other songs you really liked on the album you would hope they'd be a single so other people could hear them and they'd like them as much as you did and now it's just such a different experience for how we hear music it's like a single mm-hmm. versus a whole journey wow. of, a, of an album like even Jagged Little Pill do you remember how it had that hidden song at the end called called Your House like oh yeah like this the album ended with this song called Wake Up which was this sort of like kind of dreary song if I had to pick the worst song that would be the one off that album even though they're all amazing you know but then there's like a minute and a half of silence and then all of a sudden this total acapella song where she's finding out that her lover has been cheating on her because she breaks into his house and takes a bath and wants to sleep and sees this note that was written to someone else to meet them at midnight and it's like so I remember when I saw her the first time was at the Arlington and she was just like some obscure rising star artist and she sang that song and it was like imagine seeing Alanis in the Arlington theater how incredible that would be you know maybe I know you probably weren't there but it's so (laughs) so so amazing uh thinking about that and it's just the music of that time is so pivotal 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 to who we are today when George Michael died do you remember that he died on Christmas day Christmas day yeah 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 so so sad because he had What's the stupid song everyone right. sings? Uh, Last Christmas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not it's not a dumb song, but it's just like not his, it's just real popular, but not his best song, you know? It's him from Wham. And Wham yeah. was, was, you know, um, if you think about Wham and his first solo album, he was he was like taken by a, a music company at the time. A, a record label would have sort of found him and and they were trying to promote and create this very poppy version of who he is. And, you know, I think Prince kind of had the same experience where at first a record company sort of grabs on and they're like, oh, perfect. You know, we can sell a lot of albums, this weird little guy. And he's got like this incredible vocal range. Um, and then both of those people through through their career then have this sort of realization of like, no, 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 like stop trying to, again, can make me conform to to what kind of art you think I should be doing. And they both really like deviate away from how they had started as these like poppy, happy, you know, running around dancing kind of singers. Um, and they both become like more serious and more, and and then it's interesting too, because the music industry sort of dismisses them as as troubled or or weird or, you know, which is again, like they dismiss Alanis as angry they dismiss these two men who are sort of questioning gender and sexuality as, uh, oh, they're just weird. And yeah, continue to buy their albums if you want to, because we still want to make money, but uh, we're going to stop promoting them as much. And so you see, you see George Michael, like kind of lose that big promotional push behind him. Mm-hmm. And Prince too, you know, and Prince plays around with different bands. He's part of the new power generation. He's part of uh, in the early nineties and like he kind of jumps around um yeah yeah he he liked to always be creating like the new stuff the next thing i want to ask you about something and you know we prince died of a drug overdose Mm -hmm. Um, george michael i don't think we know how he died but was it like a heart attack or it might have been drug related but it was I know he'd gotten really large and gained a lot of weight and he obviously had struggled with drugs in the past. 
Whitney Houston died of a drug overdose. Um, oh, and by the way, I love Whitney Houston. That was my first album I ever bought was her, um, her orange. Yeah. Orange album. Yeah. Uh, the back of that album. I stared at a lot. I'm just going to cover. Yeah. Yeah. In <laughs> her, know? in her swimsuit. Yeah. She's, Oh, I love that album so much. Uh, and she, I still, I have it still, um, on like the record and, uh, th that is before she gets super poppy. Like she becomes with Whitney, her next album blue. And she's like, she's got like a scrunchie or something, you know, like she's, she's white top. Yeah. 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 Um, that album becomes much more poppy, but with that first album, she's, uh, it's, again, it's an album. She's telling a story and she's telling a story about acceptance and, and, uh, and love. And, and again, a lot of those songs are about types of love that are not acceptable. She's and not like, not like, uh, sexuality wise but you know she talks about having an affair with a man she talks about or a married man she talks about um different things that again like fall outside of the norm of what women are supposed to be talking about which is yeah i i i love is that what saving all my love for you was was that yeah. an affair with a married man wow yeah it blew my She's mind right now. Tonight, I, tonight um yeah because most yeah. of the time he's got his family yeah it just it all adds up now i just i always knew it was like a somehow it was a relationship that couldn't be in its pure form and now that makes sense the lyrics yeah. um th that song you give good love on the whitney Houston. Yeah. her voice like literally is like this is an angel from god like this voice is so i just remember that song i remember that video do you remember where she's like singing and like the camera crew and the, the people working like it's a stage but they're all distracted by her and like the camera just zooms in you know and it's just right but i want to ask you about you know we think these celebrities have everything we think they have it all but they deal with the same issues that everyday people like you and i and just everyone out there in the world deal with is feeling uh, like you belong and feeling supportive and wanting to feel loved and people turn to drugs often to fill those holes and those needs and if you were a celebrity, my goodness, you have access to everything and anything. I can imagine if I was a celebrity, what if I would even be here at all? Because you have so much power and access to things that can harm you. And without somebody close to you to kind of keep you in check, you bad things happen. But what do you what do you sort of think about? Like, I know I just think of how sad it is that these three even michael jackson even though michael jackson i wouldn't put in the same category with them in terms of what he meant to me um, but i recognize he was very popular to a lot of people but i mean do you think about that like just drugs and how it destroys lives and i mean yeah and how um how you know so many people turn to alcohol or drugs just in our lives in general, because it's a coping mechanism. It's a way to kind of numb the pain of the world around them of getting to a certain age and realizing like, Oh, huh, maybe this isn't going to be the life that I <laughs> thought it was going to be when I was a kid or, you know, um, but when you're a celebrity, when you have all that money, but also you have these people around you who just want to make you happy all the time. So they just want you to continue to make money for them. So they indulge whatever it is. 
And so that's how you get these really kind of odd characters, like uh, people in the news right now in the middle of some kind of defamation trial, for example, you watch <laughs> their life play out and it's like, how do you get so odd? Mm -hmm. And it, it has to be that there's people around you who are just, you know, it's the same thing with dictators. If we look at like Stalin or if we look at Putin today and look at um, how he, how, you know, there was people are still around him who are essentially like, oh yeah, we'll take over Ukraine in like three days. It'll be no issue. Whereas the, the advisors who would have said, no, it's gonna be pretty problematic, were dismissed. Like he made them go away, right? So you see people who in any position of power, whether it's like popular music power, whether it's like political power, you end up surrounding yourselves with the yes people who are going to agree with you, who, are, who, who stand to profit off of you. So they're trying to make you as happy as possible and not be dismissed. And it's so destructive. You know, we all, need someone checking us all the time um you know i mean not all the time <laughs> like, don't take that as an invitation to come over and just constantly tell me <laughs> what i'm doing wrong but uh, well you know jordy what you really should be doing so. <laughs> <laughs> i think what the point there is we need people in our lives who love us enough to tell us the truth and not yeah. just what we think they want to hear and yeah. Too many people get caught up in their own agenda. Well, if I tell this person what they want to hear, that means they're going to give me something. And whether it's something personal or relationship-wise or financial-wise, that's dangerous because you don't really want to be around those kind of people. You want to be around people who are going to talk to you and think of your best interests at heart. But I just think it's so sad that we won't have any more music from, from these individuals uh, because they... We're struggling with these things behind the scenes that we didn't really wouldn't really know about. What what role, Jordi, does music play like in your your daily life? Like I have a little routine in that when I go to bed, I listen to a couple songs and sometimes I just fall asleep and I'll wake up and turn it off, you know, and it's really soothing for me. Um I try to sleep in Sunday morning, like the only morning I can sleep and I'll sort of like listen to some songs before I get out of bed. And uh, sometimes I'm a crazy man driving down Highway 101, blasting, you know, songs because I'm a rock star in that moment. And I don't care who's looking at me, you know, I'm paying attention to the road. <laughs> um, but it's really helpful to me because it's it's like a friend, you know, it's a mm -hmm. it's something I can always count on, always being consistent and being the same to pick me up and if you listen to a song over and over, you hear new things, right? It's just like, oh, I yeah. never picked up on that. But like for you, you're you're a college professor and you know, you're a mom and you're busy with a bazillion things, but how do you use music in your life uh, like on a daily basis? Well, um, you know, music is great because it, uh, like you said, you know, you hear it at different times in your life and you hear something new, something different, something that speaks to you in a different way. If I listen to Alanis Morissette today versus when I was a teenager, um, it's just going to speak to me differently because of experience I've had because of where I am in my life. So I listen to music um, often throughout the day, getting ready, you know, for whatever I'm going to do. If I, and I kind of tailor the music that I listen to, to what I'm what I'm supposed to be doing that day. So like first day of school, for example, 
I don't know if you still get nervous on the first day of school. I get very nervous first day going in, meeting all these people, mm-hmm. all these new students. So I tend to listen to like Pink Floyd, The Wall or uh, Guns N' Roses, um, Welcome to the Jungle and <laughs> uh, <laughs> to to get me in the the frame of mind to walk into a new classroom mm-hmm. or um, it sounds kind of sad and like middle-aged momish, but um, I really love doing the dishes and listening to music and uh, um, and listening to entire albums because you can depending on how, how how often you do the dishes but <laughs> if you put them off a little bit then you can end up listening to like an entire album within that and like you said an album is a story <clears throat> so taking it from beginning to end and really hearing like what that artist was going through, what they're trying to, and then in the car, of course, but um, I ride my bike a lot when I can. And uh, this probably isn't legal, but I listen to music in one ear. I have the other ear open, <laughs> but uh, that, I don't know that, like I was riding home yesterday. I, I was meeting with some students and then I realized I had a meeting in 20 minutes. <laughs> Again, like not showing my best, most professional side here, <laughs> going to concerts, in the middle of the week when I have an 8 a.m. class or uh, realizing like, oh, I have a meeting right now with administrators at City College. Well, you're, so, you're sane, but you're overwhelmed. So <laughs> yeah, <okay>. exactly. <laughs> and like I had to ride my bike back, like because I was on my bike super fast to get to this meeting. And uh, so like the music that I chose to listen to, actually, I listened to Prince. And um, and like as I was writing and I'm thinking like, oh, you got to get you got to get home. Uh, I'm also like looking at the fog and the trees and like listening to him. And it's just, I don't know, it's, it enhances any experience you have, you know, any experience, whether it's something as mundane as doing the dishes or like you're looking at the landscape, you're looking around you, you're driving, driving. I hate driving. I don't know if you enjoy driving, but like uh, I can't stand driving. So it, it gives you an escape, but it also gives you a new perspective, a way to look at the world and what you're experiencing in that moment. Yeah. in a way that um is more enjoyable is more thoughtful meaningful so yeah so I, I would say i use music in my life to enhance whatever whatever sort of mundane thing i have to deal with that day yeah i yeah. always that's that's totally like amazing and it's like very similar i'll like on my way to school living in galita going to santa barbara i'll have the like fire me up songs and then when school's over it's like totally soft easygoing songs it's like it's over you know the pressure of the day is over but yeah I still get nervous the first day and I get nervous every day every class you know because you just it's such a we're I know we're going to talk about teaching in a future podcast but it's such a unbelievably enriching rewarding experience each class every Tuesday, Thursday, or whatever day, you more than me, that um, I need music to sort of like hold my hand figuratively in the room, you know, to just sort of be because it's such a, such a rich experience to be able to have that privilege and that opportunity to, to be impactful to students. Um, There's a song called Unprodigal Daughter, which you may or may not have heard it's on the Feast on Scraps album that Alanis Morissette did. And that is definitely my first day of school song. And even though that song is about 
her being oppressed by the people in her life in Canada before she came to LA and tried to make it big before she moved. It's really a song about anyone who tells you no and how do you battle against that and continue to search for your your goals and your dreams. But and that's an angry song. I mean not angry, but it's a there's a lot of passion in that song. You know, so yeah. that's definitely have you heard that song? Do you know that one? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a good good song. And um I wish I would have gone to that Alanis Morissette concert, but she, she's touring again. She'll be back. I think she does have an LA date coming right up now. at some point and she's touring in, in Europe and, and all of that. And she's it's so funny now because she sings about to bring it full circle. She sings about being a parent and being a mom, you know? Right. Yeah. And she's, yeah. you know, she talks about unschooling. I don't know if you follow like she doesn't, her kids are like, they're homeschooled and, and okay. she, she goes around with, what do you want to do now? Okay, let's do that. Okay. Instead of deciding throughout the day, this is this hour to do this. But if they want to do art for four hours that day, they do art. You yeah. Know? And there's something to be learned from that. Although I don't know that I could be that nonconformist, but who knows? You know. <laughs> well, and there's a lot of school. Um, I mean, that's kind of the philosophy of the Waldorf school, of Montessori schools. I mean, that's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, different philosophical ways of looking at how education should should like is best for different students I homeschool my daughter or she's in like a half homeschool half half in yeah she's in you know I think you called it a, a weirdo school the other day <laughs> uh, I, I, I said doesn't she go to a weird school I didn't say weirdo but yes oh, same implication uh, <laughs> um so she's like three day homeschool, two days in person with like 20 other interesting students. Uh, and um, her, it works very, very well for her. There's plenty of people who it wouldn't work for, they'd need more organization, but yeah, the, the way of, again, like it's about not conforming to a standard of what, what am I, we have all these little boxes around us of what society tells us is the correct way to do things, you know, correct way to go to school, correct way to learn things, correct way to be uh, proud of yourself, <laughs> correct way to be feminine, correct way to be whatever. And um, almost nobody fits into those boxes, you know, they're, they're, yeah. Uh, and so we have to think, what is the goal, especially with parenting? Like, what is the goal? Is it to create somebody who's going to conform and figure out how to like cut parts of themselves off so that they can fit into the social standard or are we going to figure out what works for them so that they can be the best version of themselves um and so yeah i'm sure you know there's some things you have to learn how to conform to you don't want people who are walking around just like farting in public all the time literally like they should <laughs> learn to curb those kinds of behaviors but um there's also things that uh, you don't want. Like I realized when my daughter was little that one day the world might come in and tell her that she wasn't this beautiful, intelligent, amazing young person because she didn't conform to a certain standard of beauty and intelligence. And I just thought, God, that's so tragic because she's, because who she is as an individual so has so much to offer. Why do we, why do we make people conform and like change who they are why do we why do we turn them into some lesser version of themselves so that it's more palatable to the majority of the world how much better would the world be if we allowed people to decide to do 
you know, art for four hours or, and I know there's lots of like, oh, but you can't always do art. You know, you, you got to have your vegetables along with your dessert. Like, I know that, um, <laughs> but there's a way to get the vegetables in so that it's not vegetables, right? Like yeah. there's a way to get the, so that it's not like something that's painful. And, um, and yeah, like I would, I would expect nothing less from Alanis as a 47, 48 year old woman. I would expect nothing less from her than to have these children that she celebrates and, and tailors their education rather than pushing them into a standard of whatever, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I think your daughter's got the best teacher at home, obviously. So she's going to be good no matter what, whether it's a homeschool hybrid or whatever the deal is. Yeah. Uh, she's lucky to have that kind of influence, but it's um, we should probably wrap up because it's been about an hour and uh, it's been great. It's been so cool to sort of talk to you about these songs and the music and we'll have to share some songs offline. Like, you know, these are the 10 best songs that, you know, fire me up for the first day of class kind of thing. Oh yeah. Or the songs you listened to before an interview, before my interview with the president, um, before my final interview, I listened to Eminem, uh, Lose Yourself and Talking Heads Once in a Lifetime. Like I, I had heard so much advice from people who were like, oh, you have to like meditate before you have to do this, go for, uh, I, I was in such a state of anxiety. And I was like, I can't meditate right now. Like it's not going to work. So I figured out like, uh, what am I going to do? And I listened to Eminem and that worked for me. That got me into a, uh, a focused mindset for sure. And Once in a Lifetime. Yeah, those are both good songs. And Eminem's amazing too, just to, this is songwriting. And I know people are like, he hates women. I'm like, shut up. Like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're entitled to their opinion. But there's, there's, nobody is just one thing. And when people talk, when artists express themselves, sometimes it's how they felt or how they feel in a moment, or it's a character or heaven forbid people actually feel a certain authentic way that is not good and they articulate that in public that doesn't mean they need to be canceled for let's understand them right or they're often talking about what um society thinks about or they're often reacting to something that's that's sort of a standard for, or for society or they're often working through something in a song so that they might come out very angry. You know, Eminem has come out in some of his songs is very angry with his uh, daughter's mom. Um, and he's working through a very raw emotion, which is something that uh, we're, we should all be doing. We don't all automatically come to the end where we all love each other again. There's a lot that happens in between that. And it's okay to listen to somebody who is, who's working through that and to understand what that looks like for different people. And to not assume that that's where they stop, that they stop at hating their daughter's mom or. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or their own mom. Well, you know, Eminem, he had that song, uh, clean out my closet about his mother. And then a few years ago, he had this song called headlights where he forgave his mother. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's like, Whoa, full circle journey. And that's headlight song with that guy from fun. Nate, Forget his name, Royce. Roy, yeah, Nate Royce. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
you know, he's on that song. It's a great song. So yeah, yeah it's a, it's a journey. You can't really judge these artists on one moment in time, but anyway, Jordy, thanks a lot for your time. And I look forward yeah, to the next you. time. Yeah, me too. All right. Take care.